There is probably not a more powerful, yet less effective entity on earth than the local church. Let me repeat that. I said there's probably not a more powerful, yet least effective entity on church, excuse me, in the world than the local church. In Matthew 6, 18, Jesus said he would build his church. And he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have a promise that the local church will endure forever. The local church has been left here to make an impact in our society. Yet it's doing a lot of things and making an impact is not one of them. It's become ineffective. It's become powerless. Dare I say it has become impotent. This great force that Jesus has left where the community of believers come together and um, shared views to impact the world has become about everything and anything but about changing the world. It's become about personal preferences. So many people around us find the local church completely useless. The last studies that I saw in Cherokee County said 74% of people do not attend church on a Sunday morning. The problem is not that they can't find a church. Good Lord, you can't throw a rock in this community without hitting a church. We got every flavor. We're like Baskin Robbins, baby. What flavor do you choose? We're like BK. You can have it your way. You want big church? We got big church. You want small church? We got small church. You want white church? Because, you know, the most segregated place on Sunday, in the world is Sunday mornings in church. So we got white church and black church and Spanish church. We got Methodist church, Baptist church, non-denominational church, charismatic church. We got rock and roll church. We got traditional church. We got independent, fundamental, King James only, premillennial Baptist churches. We got holiness churches. We got multicultural churches. We got churches. You say, I don't like church buildings. We got churches that meet in movie theaters, churches that meet in schools, churches that meet in shopping centers, and churches that meet in the ghetto. So the problem is not you can't find a church. The problem is 74% of our community looks at the church and they find it ineffective. What's the reason in being part of that? Instead of seeing Jesus, they see drama. Mm. Church attendance in America is in rapid decline. The numbers do not lie. The average church in America runs 65 people on a Sunday morning. The average church in America has baptized one person in the last three years. Let me repeat that. The average church in America has baptized one person in the last three years. I used to think this was old. I do not think it is old anymore. But the average church attender is 57 years old. It's not young. It's looking younger by the day. You want a staggering statistic? 70% of youth 
stop attending church after high school. 70%. That blows my mind. Out of 10 seniors who will graduate that attend church, and only 26% of them attend church to begin with, Seven out of those ten will no longer attend church when mommy and daddy don't require them to attend church. Why? Because they look at the church and see what is it doing for my life? How is it impacting me? How is it making me better? The church has lost its way. God has left us here to carry out his mission. Oh, by the way, it's the church's mission to do about... 80% of what government does. It's our job to feed people. It's our job to take care of people. It's our job to take care of the orphans. We get mad that government's not doing it right. Guess what? It ain't their job to begin with. It's the church's job. But the people making up the church no longer want to do anything, much less attend. But when they do attend, they just want to sit on their blessed assurance and take. The Spirit of Christ is giving, not just giving financially, giving with our time and our treasure and our talents and giving back of what God has so abundantly given us to further the advancement of the kingdom of God. Church is not a duty. It's something that enriches us. This is a pep rally during the week. Say, I don't got to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You're right. But the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, not to forsake the the assembling of ourselves together. There's power in gathering together. There's power in being around like-minded people. There's power in being united in a vision. There's power when everybody's focused in one direction. Like it or not, we are better together. We're the body. We all have our purpose Some of us are the mouth of the body. Some of us are the fingers. Some of us are the feet. The problem with the church is it's got an overabundance of in the body. Not enough of everything else. Church has lost its way. It's become about religion instead of a relationship. It's become about tradition Instead of telling people about Jesus. It's become about denominations instead of about demonstrating the love of Christ. The church has become about judging instead of Jesus. And yet we wonder why the church has become ineffective. We've lost our way. People ask me all the time, what do you think we can do to get the church? They don't mean action church, they just mean the church in general back on track. And I watch people, and I'm not really tuned into the church world a lot. You might find that surprising. And, and I don't have coffee with a lot of pastors. You might find that surprising. But, but I see everybody and anybody coming into town, and, and there's always a new method on how we're going to do church. See, the problem is, especially in North America, we've turned the church into a business. We've implemented business principles into the church instead of godly principles. And I'm not saying business is ungodly, but business is business and the church is the church. And God's laid it out how the church ought to operate. 
and how the church ought to function. And we shouldn't get surprised that when we quit doing it God's way, it no longer is effective. But that's human nature. We think we know better. Everybody's looking for a new method. I remember 25 years ago, man, bring a band into church. That's the new way to do church. Now abandoned church is just a new traditional. Don't wear a suit and tie on Sunday, and that's just the new traditional. And thank God we don't have to wear suit and ties on Sunday. One church sees another church doing something and they think it's effective, and instead of asking God what they should be doing, they just start mimicking what everyone else is doing. We have carbon copies and carbon copy pastors and everyone looks the same and acts the same and talks the same language and preaches the same sermons and goes about the same mission and it's no longer about reaching outsiders it's about catering to insiders people ask me all the time and I've shared this many times how do we become a member at Action Church we don't do membership at Action Church here's the problem membership when you become a member of something you expect benefits from that there's no benefits to being part of this church the preaching ain't good The music's loud. The people are crazy. Why would you want to be a member of this? I mean, think about it. You become a member at the golf course, you get to play golf. You become a member at Costco, man, you get to buy oversized ketchups. I mean, there's benefits to being a member of something. When you decide to be part of this, you lose your benefits because it no longer becomes about you. It becomes about outsiders. It becomes about doing whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. We don't apologize for that. We're not going to change. That's who we are. It's why we do what we do. I joke all the time that every church in town ought to bring me on staff because I send more people to their churches than they do. People come through the doors of this church. They just realize, man, they want church. They dig it for a little while. They're like, whoa, they might be a little crazy. Let's go find another church. And I'm okay with that. Because we've never been about being the biggest church in town. I've done that. Been there. Started that. My ego has been fed. If I show up every week and only Christine's on the front row, then she's going to get preached at every week and I'm going to take up an offering from her every week and we're going to go home. (laughs) The church needs to get back to the basics. And I'm all for lights and I'm all for smoke and I'm all for all all the, the modern ways that we do church because methods are just methods. Methods are just a way to communicate the message. But when the methods become more important than the message, we have a problem. When the methods begin to overshadow the message, we have a problem. When the methods complement the message, and what is the message? Here's the message. We were born sinners. We needed a Savior. God sent his only son, his name was Jesus, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for our sins. He paid a price that we could never pay. Not only did he die on the cross, he conquered death and rose from the grave where we could spend eternity in heaven, and it's not based on our works, and it's not based on how much money we give, and it's not based on where we go to church. It's based on he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. That's the message. And so when the methods overshadow the message, we have a problem. Are we having church today? Are you talking to me today? I know it's a white church and we don't get a little bit rowdy, but how about talking to me today? We need to get, it, get back to the basics of things. We need, to, we need to quit looking for new ways and realize God's laid out his way. 
Man. We need to get back to how the church was started. And there's some principles in the early church. We're going to get to those throughout this month. The Bible says in Acts 2, and I love Acts 2. So for all technical purposes, Acts 2 is where the local church was started. It was the gathering of the saints, the ecclesia, called out for a purpose and gathered together. And the Bible says they, they being the, the, the local church there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone, check it out, it says everyone, everyone who, everyone that was part of the local church, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Let me tell you what you will not see in the local church today, verse 44. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. That doesn't mean they agreed on everything. That doesn't mean they voted all the same. That, that don't mean they all voted the same. That, that doesn't mean they all had the same 100% belief system on every issue. But it means they were together and they were united in the vision of the local church. They just decided they were going to major on the majors and minor on the minors, but the church today is majoring on the minors. We're making mountains out of molehills. And we're wondering why an unbelieving world wants nothing to do with what the believing world teaches. We're wondering why a believing world wants nothing to do with what the church is teaching. They were together and they had all things in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Y'all gripe about one day a week. Look what it says here. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were glad to be in the house of God. It brought them joy. People come and say, so-and-so's just getting weird about the church. No, so-and-so's just miserable at life. They're just unhappy at life. Their feelings have been hurt about something, and the only thing they can take it out on because they don't have the testicular fortitude to confront what they're upset about is blame it on the church. Oh, did I say that? Let me repeat that again. The church becomes their whipping post. My favorite, my favorite's this. It's just changed there. We still the same ghetto church we were 14 years ago, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Ain't nothing changed. We still just as poor as we were 12 years ago. I'm just as redneck as we were 12 years ago. Matter of fact, I, 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 would, I would hard press you to find a church in this community that has changed less than this church. Same ugly drummer still playing in this church. Same old rock and roll guy leading worship in this church. Same old redneck preaching in this church. We moved into this side of the building and was too poor to even move the sign over here on this side of the building. So the sign's still in the same place. For three years, I've been meaning to replace the sign at the road. It's so sun weathered, you can't even read it. Ain't nothing changed around here. They've changed. They're in a bad place in life, and instead of looking in the mirror and taking account for themselves, they've got to find somebody to blame. 
Mm. We're going to have fun during this series. They broke bread in their homes and ate together, and they were glad and sincere hearts. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You ought to get up on Sunday mornings excited that we live in a country where we're free to go worship where we choose to worship. That's the problem, though. The church has become so available that we, no long, that we take it for granted. The church has become so readily available. We ain't even got to roll out of bed. We can just flip on Facebook Live. Hello to everyone on Facebook Live. I'm not preaching against you today. I'm so glad you're at home watching this service. But we can just roll over and watch it online anytime we want that we take it for granted. We no longer appreciate the fact that we get to be part of a church that's doing great things in our community. They were together and they had everything. They had sincere hearts. They were glad. They were excited. Look what it says. It says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Now here's the kicker. And look what happens as a result. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not weekly. Not monthly. Not one baptism every three years. The Bible says because they were doing all these things, the Lord added to their number daily. I don't know much about church growth, but at a minimum the church was going by 365 people a year. But if you keep on reading, you'll see it says there's about five or 10,000 showing up at that church. Somebody asked me one time, I said, how big do you want this church to get? Here's the deal. As big as God wants it to get. Now, let me go ahead and tell you something. We're never going to be the church that's out advertising like we're a business. I'm not anti that, so please don't take that as I'm dogging any church. But we'd rather spend that money on feeding people. We're never going to be at people say, you, you promote all these events, you don't talk about the church. My, my job is to promote events. I don't want to turn this into a business. But here's the deal. If God wants to send 4,000 people into this church next week, we'll find room for 4,000 people next week. I just don't think I'll like it when it gets big. Then you're going to hate heaven. What are you going to do when you get there? You think you're going to be all alone? No. Uh-uh. There are going to be some people there you don't even like. And you're going to feel real bad that you didn't like them. Formation of the early church. It's a powerful, it's a powerful five verses. It's a powerful six verses, excuse me. 42, 43, 44, 45, 46. Powerful six verses. They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They prayed together. The Holy Spirit was working in the midst of them. They were glad to be in the house of God. They were glad to be in the church. It was an honor. They had sincere hearts. They were rejoicing over what God was doing instead of complaining about things they didn't like. I know people at church would never complain, especially at Action Church. Y'all never start. Now, when we don't have a tele. In the old days, we had what was called the telephone ministry in churches. Anybody know what the telephone ministry was? That's one person pick up the phone and call somebody else, and that person will call somebody else. Now, now we have what I like to call the direct message ministry. The group chat ministry. Funny thing, dangerous thing about a group chat, though, there's always one in that group chat that's going to get it back to me. On the days of the telephone ministry, it was one-on-one. You could be a little safer. There's always going to be someone that's going to come to me. You know what so-and-so said? No, what'd they say? Oh, why'd they feel comfortable enough to say that to you? Oh, 
I, I know that never happens around here, but I'm talking about other churches. Other churches. Lord added to the number daily. You can't get any more back to the beginning than what you got in Acts chapter 2. That's the start of it all. That is the foundation of the local church. So while methods come and methods go, music comes and music goes, styles come and styles go, at the end of the day, you better be making sure that the foundation of your local church is rooted in Acts chapter 2. I think that the church has turned a lot of things into tradition that Christ just didn't care about. But there's some things he cared about. There's some formulas, if you will, that you can follow from Acts chapter 2. And so what I thought we would do in the month of February is just get back to the basics. Get back to talking about the things that make a church a powerful church. Getting back to some things that make a church a dangerous church and make no mistake about today, the church ought to be dangerous. The Bible says in John that they were forcefully advancing the gospel of Christ. Meaning they were willing to do it against opposition. They were willing to do it against criticism. They were willing to do it with no fanfare. They were willing to do what needed to be done because they believed in the message of Jesus Christ so strongly that it was like a fire in their bones. Acts chapter 2 lays it out. You're going to see some things we're going to talk about. The first thing we're going to talk about today is they were a praying church. They were a praying church. Before you go any further as a church, you better make sure there's a foundation. Where's Chad Jenkins at? Chad Jenkins, Chad Jenkins. Stand up, Chad. I can't see you. Chad, when I build something, what are the things I put in the corners? Like there's the foundation, but they go deep in the ground, aren't they something? Footers. See, I ain't a construction person. I'm a destruction person. The footers of the church... Boy, they better be prayer. They were a praying church. I listen, don't freak out here. Because I know most of you don't have a church background, and the ones that do, it's more Baptistic. But listen, listen, listen. They were a spirit-led church. And we ain't talked much about that. We're going to talk about it next week. They were a giving church. Now, I know immediately when you saw the word giving, you thought money. Giving is so much more than finances. And you failed to miss that. Now, make no mistake about it, part of it is finances. People get funny when the preacher talks about money. We don't talk about it much around here. And that ain't going to be the just of that message, but we're going to talk about giving. Are you giving of your time? Are you giving of your talents? Christ gave you those things to impact the kingdom of God. You are uniquely made to be who you are, not just for business, but to transform the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were a loving church. But we're going to start with prayer. Not individual prayer but a praying church. Let me ask you a question. I know it's hard to be honest in church, but how many of you say, I believe in the power of prayer? Believe in the power of prayer. A few weeks ago, we were, we were honored to be able to host a prayer meeting here. It was, it was, it was awesome. And, and it was humbling to me to just be reminded of the power of prayer. Now, let me ask you another question. Even though you believe in the power of prayer, how many of you believe 
in your individual life, you could pray more consistently and powerfully. Interesting. Interesting. 100% of us say, man, we believe in the power of prayer. And almost 100% of us said, man, we could implement it a little better in our lives. You know what that lets me know? We don't understand the power of prayer. Oh, by the way, I am not preaching at you today. I'm preaching with you. I am as guilty of it as anybody. We have direct access to the creator of the world. The one who spoke everything into existence. I'm going to date myself here, but this goes back to the average church. Members 57 years old. How many of you remember the old Adam West Batman? He could pick up the red phone and... Commissioner Gordon can get right to Batman. How many of you remember that? Those of you who don't remember that, I'm sorry that you didn't get the real Batman. Man, we got a red phone right to God. Boom. It don't matter what time of day. He's like the Waffle House, baby. 24-7, 365 days. He never closes. You can always get in contact with him. Yet we don't capitalize on that. We believe we have the ability to communicate with the creator of the universe. And yet we don't implement prayer into our lives, especially as a church. And then we wonder why the church is so ineffective. Because the footers aren't deep. I don't know much about construction, but I know this. If the footers are not put in right and they don't go deep enough in, the building becomes unstable. Correct me if I'm wrong, and if I am wrong, just lie to me, Chad. The bigger the building, the deeper the footers. Mm. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounded really good. If we want to see God be effective and God move in our lives and God move in the lives of our churches, the footers of prayer got to be deeper. We've got to be joined together in that. As you read through the book of Acts, and Acts is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible because it's just the power of the local church. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a starter by just who I am. That's what I am. So I love the startup phase and the craziness of watching the local church get started. I love the book of Acts. And one thing that you'll see over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Acts is they were continually, the disciples and those that were following Christ were going back to God in prayer. They knew that the opposition was there. They knew that they were starting a revolution. They knew that they were starting something great. They knew that they had the ability to change the world. They knew there would be opposition to it. You would think when you're trying to do something good, there'd be no opposition. The more good you try to do, the more opposition there'll be. Quick, Hey, and oh, by the way, that opposition had come from those closest to you. Our biggest critics are other churches. The opposition would come they knew that if they were ever going to get through those periods, they had to be dug deep in prayer. One of my favorite prayers is found in Acts starting around, think about the fourth chapter. To give you context here, Peter and John are preaching with great faith. They're preaching on the, on the death and they're preaching on the resurrection of Jesus and they're praying for miracles. And they begin to pray for this guy who was unable to walk for 40 years. So for 40 years, this guy couldn't walk. They're out spreading the news of Jesus, and this guy who couldn't walk for 40 years approaches them. And they prayed for this guy, and as they begin to pray for this guy, God miraculously healed this guy. 
Now he's able to walk. Now think about that. For 40 years he couldn't walk and now he can walk. These people are pointing to Jesus as the reason for that. But the religious leaders of the day were having none of it. Instead of celebrating that the man who couldn't walk can now walk, they chose to criticize the methodology of Peter and John. The Sadducees, the, the, uh, the temple guard, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the other religious leaders of the day, instead of rejoicing at the miracles that were taking place, begin to accuse them of leading almost a cultish movement, if you will. So they come to Peter and John, they put them in prison, they put them on the trial, they're before the, hands, the Sanhedrin, that's the religious ruling body of the day. And they asked them a question. They said, by whose authority do you do these miracles? We want to know how you have the right to take someone who couldn't walk and make them walk today. Not holy smokes, who did that? Who, who, what God do you worship? Instead, it was, who, who, gave you, who gave you the authority to heal? Who gave you the authority to open up your building to the homeless? Who gave you the authority to be a place where those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups can come and feel safe and feel protected? Who gave you the authority to see a need and meet a need? We hear it all the time around here. Always comes from the religious. It was the religious here that were questioning them. I've shared the stories before. I was sitting here one day. All of a sudden, my phone starts ringing. I look out there, and there's about five guys in suits and ties out there. I said, can I help you guys? And they had been called from another church in town. The Center of Disease Control had been called. And they came up here and wanted to know where all the dirty needles were. I said, dirty needles? Yeah, the dirty needles. On Facebook, you're giving out clean needles. I said, no, we're not. I said, I put on Facebook, I find this interesting. And has anybody been part of something like that? I had some questions. But anytime you do something that that doesn't fit the mainstream, doesn't stay inside the religious box, the religious get upset about it. I said, well, have fun. 32,500 square feet. Look around. They didn't look around. But the point is, the religious will always be the ones who, who gave you the authority to do that. In whose name are you preaching this message? I like old Peter, man. Peter didn't give two rips. In verse 10 it says, then know this. Basically, he said, let me talk to you. You and all the people of Israel. And I, I dig this. He ain't being shy. He ain't being timid. He ain't being scared. He ain't being worried. He just says, let me tell you who gave me the authority to do this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but with whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They were bold in their witness. They made no apologies for what they do. Over the years, we've had people come to us and be like, hey, Man, you kind of rock the boat a little bit. Listen, I, I, I know what you're doing is good, but maybe just apologize a little bit to appease them. No. 
Never. Zilch. Nada. We don't apologize for what Christ led us to do. We know our purpose in this community. We know it's to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We know it's to see a need and meet a need. It'll be a cold day in hell before we ever apologize for fulfilling the mission Christ has given us. It's not going to happen. Peter's saying, you killed him. But God raised him back. God raised him from the dead. See, the religious of that day didn't believe at that time in the bodily resurrection of Christ. What Peter was essentially doing here, and don't miss this, was giving a declaration of war to the religious. Your way of doing things no longer exists. Check it out, check it out, check it out. Your way of doing things is ineffective. Because you moved away from God's way and implemented your way. Peter was letting them know, ain't it funny the more things change, the more they stay the same? Mm. Verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, man, it's literally one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I might just sidetrack and we might not even get to prayer right here. In the original language, that unschooled, ordinary comes from the word idiato, meaning idiot. When they saw the courage of Peter and John... And they realized they were just idiots. Not the smartest group. Not the most polished group. Not the group that had it all together. Not those that had all the external things. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You want to get back to the basics? Let's meet with Jesus. Listen, when an unbelieving world looks at this church, I don't know, man, I don't know what's going on down there at 261 Marietta Road. I don't understand what's happening down there. I don't understand how it's growing. I don't understand how it's impacting people. I don't understand how they're feeding the people they feed. How does a church that side feed thousands of people every Thanksgiving? It makes no sense. I want to say, man, it must be Jesus. There ain't no way it's that Edith that's leading them. It ain't no way it's those people to go to that church. The only answer can be they've been with Jesus. They were blown away. They saw something different in them. Man. They were so caught up in the the, who gave them the authority of someone walking that they missed out on the fact that After 40 years, someone was walking. May we never become a church that gets immune to miracles happening. Someone said, I don't think we have miracles like that. Let me tell you, we have miracles. We have have marriages restored all the time in this church. That's a miracle. We have people who are sick and God's given them certain weeks. We're claiming that right now for somebody, and that's a miracle. Say, what God doesn't answer, that means God's timing was not our timing. God's ways are bigger than our ways, and God's plans are bigger than our plans. But that doesn't mean we don't call out to God and see great things happen. 
Every time I see an addict who I saw 10 years ago and they're cleaned up, and don't get me wrong, man, the numbers are against them. I understand that, but that's a miracle. When I see people who didn't have anything, and now, like when, when, I, when we open up the shelter and people who used to be in the shelter pull up to donate to the shelter now and tell me how it impacted their life, that's a miracle that happens. Never get immune to the miracles that are happening. This church makes no sense. In the poorest part of our town, in an old grocery store, ready to be bulldozed by our city in the next few years. And yet God brings in new people every week who are united in the vision. That's a miracle. It doesn't make sense. The fact that we can keep the lights on around here with how low our giving is is a miracle. Every time I look at Christine, and it happens about twice a year, I said, we ain't making it past next Sunday. She said, you need to get up on stage and address us. I ain't getting up on stage and address it. I don't talk about that stuff. I always go to God, and here's my prayer to God. I'm not saying this is the most biblical prayer, and I'm not saying it's the most godly prayer. But here's the prayer. God, we can't pay rent, and we're going to look real dumb. And in the process, we're going to make you look real dumb if we have to shut the doors. And every time on time, God happens, and it works out. City told me, they said, listen, rent's due by this time, and if it ain't by that, I looked at them and said, listen, rent will probably never be turned in by that time because there ain't no money to turn it in by that time. And we ain't turned it in on time in 12 years, but here's the promise, you'll get your money. But here's the other deal. It's free money for you. You're tearing down the building. You ain't going to find no one else moving here for three years. And do you really want the PR nightmare of throwing us out of the building? Just get rent when you can. God works things out. That's a miracle. God's a good God. Man. They come to him and say, here's the deal. We're going to let you out. But if you preach about Jesus, we're putting you back in. We don't want to hear you talk about this Jesus person anymore. This is what the religious leaders of the day were telling them. Do not talk about Jesus who died and resurrected anymore because if you do, you will spend all your time for the rest of your life in prison. They get out of jail and guess what they start doing? They just start praying. They just start proclaiming. They just get to preaching. They didn't pray, oh God, keep us safe from the bad guys. They didn't pray, God, bless my 401k. God, I just want to be happily married and left alone. Don't rock my world. No, they didn't pray anything like that. But with the threat of death on them, the local church understood the power and importance of prayer. If we're going to be the church God has called us to do, we've got to be a church that understands prayer. If we want to fulfill the mission God has for us, then it better be bathed in prayer. It doesn't matter who's on this stage teaching, it better be bathed in prayer. It doesn't matter who's on this stage leading worship, it better be bathed in prayer. It doesn't matter if it's in this building, if it's in a tent somewhere, if we lose this building. If it's in a bigger building, if it's in a smaller building, it does not matter if it's not bathed in prayer. And if it's bathed in prayer, it'll all be all right. 
Y'all stress about things right here way more than I do. Because I don't worry about those things. I literally believe, you know what? Those are God's issues. Where God leads, and I know it's cliche and it's so cheesy, but where God leads, God feeds. God will provide. He's a good God. He's an on-time God. He's a God that has a perfect plan, but I want him to know that we take it so seriously that we're calling out to him on a daily basis, on a continual basis, not just asking, mm, don't miss this, not asking that we survive, but that we thrive. The church was not called to survive. The church was called to be about the mission of Christ. It's called the church ought to be the change agents in community. And when the church is on fire, check it out, check it out, check it out. When the church is on fire, and oh, by the way, this building ain't the church. This is the church, you and me. So when you're on fire, you go out into the world, and now the church is at the brewery, and the church is at the restaurant, and the church is at the business, and the church is at the courthouse, and the church is at the funeral home, and the church is at all the big offices around here because the church goes out from Sunday and impacts. The Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel. That doesn't mean we're shoving Jesus down people's throat, but it's going out and people are looking at it saying, man, they've been with Jesus. I don't know what it is about that person. That person, man, they're bold. They tell me things I don't want to hear, but listen, they go through the same struggles that I go through, but there's just something different about them. This is not church. This is a church service. This is a pep rally on Sundays. This is a come, get jacked up, fired up. Hey, if you're a junkie, what that means is come get your hit, baby, on Sunday and go out into the world and be Jesus to everybody. But we got to be bathed in prayer. That means we can't be praying safe, sanitized prayers. God, protect my family. Put a hedge of protection around the same old prayers that we always pray. Then I got out. They've been threatened with their life. They've been told they'll go back into prison. And they just begin to pray. Let me tell you something. The first thing they did was they prayed bold prayers. Look what it says in 29. Now, Lord, I like, I like, I like how he calls them out. Consider their threats. He's praying out loud here. Now, guy got, you know they threatened us. God, in case you didn't hear, consider their threats. Look what he said. He don't, he don't say take care of the ones who threatened us. He don't say, Shh. he don't say shut up the ones who threatened us. He don't say make them go away. He don't even worry about them. Some of you need to quit worrying about critics. You're so distracted. You're like, you're, you, man, you need to be like Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah is building the wall. He's up on the wall and the enemies come send battle to buy a gift. And they come and say, hey, come down and meet with us. And Nehemiah said, why should I come down where the work stops? Why should I come down to you? I'm doing a good work. Some of you need to remember you do a good work. You spend more time trying to answer critics. You spend more time sending me messages about my critics. Here's the deal. I don't care. You think that's new to me? I've been here 18 years in this city. I've been through the ringer. I keep my crazy on the front porch where everybody can see it. There ain't no secrets, baby. So I'm not worried about the critics. I'm worried about the mission. And oh, by the way, if you don't have critics, then your mission ain't big enough. Because if you're doing what God called you to do, there will always be critics to what you do. 
people will not like how you go about it. He said, consider their threats. But then look where he goes right. He says, and just enable your servants to speak with boldness. That's, that's, that's relevant. Check that out. He said, consider their threats. What were their threats? If you speak about Christ, we're going to kill you. If you speak about Christ, we're going to put you in prison. He said, God, consider their threats. And look what he says. Now enable us to speak with boldness. Enable us to do exactly what they told us they were going to punish us for. That's a bold prayer. God, we know that they said they're going to beat us. They're going to kill us if we talk about you. Hear what they're saying and make us bold to do it. Make us bold. Heard someone, I don't want to say that story yet. I'll say it later. Heard somebody was excited at the possibility that we're, well, not the possibility that we're going to lose our building. They're going to be real shocked when we get a new one. And I done found a building beside their building that I go over and pray over every day. God, give us the courage. God, give us the faith to obey you. Man, we live our lives as Christ followers with very little faith. And it's evident by the way we pray that we don't have faith. We no longer pray bold prayers. We just recite old prayers. We just go through the motions. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray thy blessing on me. Lord, I pray you'd put a hedge of protection around my children today and keep them safe. Why don't we pray that God would keep us safe? There's no promise in this book of us being safe. There's a promise he'll never leave us or forsake us. There's a promise that he'll be with us when we go through the pits of hell. There's a promise that when we're going through the fire, he'll refine us in the middle of the fire. But there's, listen, this life is not called to be safe. The goal of life is not to arrive at the end of the destination safely. It's to arrive at the end of the destination knowing you shook up the world. That you changed the world. That's why you're still here. If you weren't here for that, Christ would have already taken you home. Start praying with boldness. Start praying for God to do amazing things. I don't know what God has in store for us, but here's what I know. I've been praying. I don't know why this number's in my head, and I don't even know what we do in this building. But I've been praying this is 30,000 feet, square feet. God, give us 90. What do we do with 90? I'll find something to do with it. I'll find something to do with it. Say, so is there any 90,000 square feet? Buildings in this town, I, I don't find about four of them. None of them are for sale. Yet. So I've been praying, God bless this business so much that they need 250,000 square feet, and I need this building. And then, God, if you want to bless them so much that they need a tax write-off, they can give this building to us. You see, you think that'll happen? I'm praying that it'll happen. You have not because you ask not. Man. I wonder what would happen if this group of people started praying bold prayers. We ought to pray big prayers because we serve a big God. God is not, God is not shocked by your big dreams. God is not shocked by your big vision. He's a big God. He took nothing and spoke it into existence. He's a creative God. There's nothing you're going to do that shocks God. 
pray big things of our God. I pray that thousands of people come to know Christ here. I pray that lives are changed here. I don't care if thousands of people show up on Sunday, but I care if thousands of lives are impacted because of the work that we do. Big prayers. I want to see lives change and marriages restored and kids graduate high school and be like, man, I still want to go to my church because I dig what they're doing. It, it, it's weird. We have people move away from here, and on one hand, I, it breaks my heart. On the other, other hand, it, it makes me proud of what we do. People move away from here, and they start messaging me. Is there any church like Action in such and such town? I don't even look. I'm like, no. And I hate that they can't find a church that's just dumb enough to be about Jesus. But it makes me happy that we're dumb enough to be about Jesus. I get it's not everybody's cup of tea. I get that it's not for everybody. But we're always going to be about outsiders instead of insiders. Because here's the deal. If insiders, those that are already Christ followers, come to our church and they decide this is not the church for them, guess what they're going to do? They're going to leave and find a church that is for them. Guess what the person who's never been in church before is going to do if they come in these doors? And they realize... It's not the church of them. They're probably never going to give church a chance again. And that's not acceptable to me. We've turned church into a networking opportunity. And that's the biggest problem. We try to find the church that's the right fit for us. Instead of finding the church that we're the right fit for. This church does this good and does that well. And I like this part of the church instead of saying, man, I can go in that church and make an impact and carry out the vision that God's given me in my life through that place. We need bold prayers. We need to believe that we serve a big God and therefore, he loves big prayers. You wouldn't, sometimes I limit what I tell you guys I pray about because it freaks you out. The part I I share freaks you out. You know the building, I'm I'm, going to lay it out there. I'm going to tell you the building I've been praying for. You ready for this? Because I just think it'd be a perfect 360 for my life. And it's a dying industry. God, in about three years, if you're going to continue to kill that movie industry, sure would take that old movie theater. I'd love to go right back where it started. No, I don't want the movie industry. Well, I don't care if the movie industry dies. Who cares? If it means I get a building out of it. Or maybe I'll change my prayers because I don't want to see anybody out of it. God, I pray the movie industry thrives so much. They got to build a new movie theater. I done got plans. I, I, listen, I done, I done Google satellited the building and drawn it out. How I'm going to lay out the building. Let me rephrase it. How Chad's going to lay out the building. And um, lots of plans. Lots of, and guess what? That's going to take a lot of money. But I believe if God gives it to us. Say, so what happens if we don't get the movie theater? Then God's got something better. But you don't think I'm going to pray for it? We're sitting last night eating. I, I pulled Christine and said, why are you on your phone? we got a rule we don't get on our phone at dinner. I was being a little selfish. I know you find that shocking. But I was like, I'm looking up movies. He said, why? So maybe we'll go see a movie. There was two movies showing last night 
on a Saturday night. Two. One at 7.10 and one at 8.30. Two movies. I ain't, I, I, I'm not the, the smartest business person in the world, but, but I don't see how they can sustain like that. But I really seriously wanted to go in the movie theater because I needed to see something that I had laid out of my plans. <laughs> and I couldn't remember where the wall was. Bold prayers. Hey, not only bold prayers, I'm going to wrap this up, I promise. They prayed miracle prayers. Stretch out your hand. This is the next verse. To heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that word again. They spoke the word of God boldly. It'll happen when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you speak the word of God boldly. There were miracle prayers. You know what happened a couple of weeks ago when we had that prayer meeting here? I just forgot. That's why I don't wear shoes up here. I about tripped about four times today. That's why I normally preach barefooted. I forgot just what a miracle serving God we serve. Someone asked me after, I said, do you, because I get we do things a little differently, and, and I, I don't want to talk about that, because they said, man, do you really believe God could heal him? I said, I believe God's going to heal him. It might not be on this side of heaven. I hope it is. I'm claiming that it is. But when it's all said and done, he'll be healed. Someone said, that's a cop-out answer. No, 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 no. That's a big God answer. I believe in miracles. But again, sometimes we think the miracles in the Bible, raising from the dead and this and that. Listen, sometimes the miracle, and I don't mean this in a bad way, not simple. Sometimes the miracle simply a marriage that was on the rocks and God puts it back together. A child who hasn't spoken with their parents in years all of a sudden reconciles to their parents. A person who doesn't know how to get their finances in order and suddenly realizes there's biblical principles to finances and now they're thriving in that area of their life. I believe we ought to be praying out to God for miracles to happen in this community. I'd love to see revival happen in this community. The problem is the churches are too busy fighting with each other and worrying about each other's people and trying to take each other's people than they are impacting the community. We didn't start this church for people who go to other churches. Now, I believe God sends people to this church. God moves people and God brings people. And I am thankful for those of you who came from other churches as long as you understand the vision of our church. We're not worried about the 99 sheep that are found. We're worried about the one that's lost. And everything we do, because that's the greatest miracle ever. There's no greater miracle than somebody who didn't know Christ coming to know Christ. That is the miracle. When was the last time we prayed for miracles? That we prayed for souls to be saved in this church, for God to send people in this church that needed to be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People to come through the doors of this church who don't feel accepted anywhere else, feel like they can belong anywhere else. You know what I love about this church? I love that this church has mature believers and it has people who show up that are, that are atheists every Sunday. They don't even believe there is a God. But they show up here and I asked one of them one time, I said, why do you come here all the time? They said, well, first of all, whatever you teach, I can apply it to my daily life. 
And they said, second of all, there's just something different about what you say. All I say is what that says. They looked at him and saw they'd been with Jesus. I remember when I was going through all my stuff a few months ago, I went to David and Sierra, and I said, hey, I want to talk to you. I went to him for some advice. Sierra looked at me, she goes, oh, I knew you were going through something. I said, how'd you know? She said, I can tell you hadn't been with Jesus in a while. So you can see it on your face. You can see it in your words. You can see it in your actions. You can see it in how you carry yourself. It's obvious to people whether or not they've been with Jesus. Some, uh, I'm not going to say that. Listen, we need, we, we, need, we need to make sure the world sees we're being with Jesus. When people see you on social media, do they think you've been with Jesus? Now, again, that doesn't mean, listen, listen, listen that doesn't mean what we've turned Christians into in America. Because we've turned Christians in America into Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. That don't mean we have to be passive. It doesn't mean we have to be limp-wristed. It doesn't mean that we have to be let the world walk all over us. It doesn't mean we can't be bold. But what it means is when we're doing all those things, we've got to make sure we're leading with love, not hate. And far too often the church is leading with hate. It's not that the church can't take a stand, but are they taking a stand in love or are they taking a stand in hate? We need bold prayers because we serve a bold God. We need miracle prayers. The early church saw great things. There was people added to their number daily because they understood the power of prayer. They understood that every great movement of God started with a bended knee. When they traced back the story of Action Church, I wanted to trace it back to a bended knee. So that everything we've done... See, the problem is so many people think we just do things right here and they don't realize what we're doing right here has been bathed in prayer. The community was surprised when the city bought this building. You weren't surprised. I've been prepping you for 18 months. And I've known for about 36 months. It was already bathed in prayer. I'm not worried about it. And it's government. It'll take them 10 years to do what they say they're going to do in three years anyway. Make sure you edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> bold prayers, miracle prayers, and I'm done right here. We need to understand that bold prayers lead to bold results. Look what it says. Again, this ain't verse, this is going to sound just like chapter 2, but this is verse 4 now. It's reiterating something. And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. And they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. that There were no needy persons among them. Check that out. They're so in tune. They prayed. And God began to bless them so much that the church was unified. And nobody had need. They were meeting the needs of the community. From, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it in the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Bold prayers result in bold results. You want to see great things done here? It starts with prayer. We're going to talk about the foundation over the next couple of weeks. Today, we're just putting the footers in.
Bob the Builder right here, Gary. Can we build it? Yes, we can. Everybody who has a kid. <laughs> yes, we can. Let me tell you something. God's doing great things here. But we're just getting started. I've shared this story a thousand times, and I'm going to share it one more time, and I'm going to be done. Don't worry, we're going to beat all the Baptists to the restaurants, I promise you. I told you all I had a southern granny. And every Sunday, my granny had a granny and a moose. I don't know why we called him moose, but he was a granny and a moose. Everybody went to granny's house and ate. I mean, she cooked, maybe fried chicken. It was always two meats, fried chicken, country fried steak, fried chicken, meatloaf. Always fried chicken, that was a staple. Why? Because she was a godly woman. Pork chops and fried chicken. Mac and cheese, green beans. I'm talking about the green beans that had been cooking for 24 hours. I'm talking about the green beans that had like bacon or ham hocks in them. And they were just, mm. I'm talking about mashed potatoes. I ain't listen. I know some of you ladies don't understand this. Did you know you used to make mashed potatoes and they didn't come from a box? Mm-hmm. They had a little lumpy to them. Mac and cheese that was so mm, pick it up. My granny used to make these things called cat head biscuits. And my granny, she wouldn't, you couldn't go to the store and buy jelly. She made homemade strawberry preserves. And you didn't put it on the biscuit. You threw it right on the plate, right where all the chicken and everything was. And you scoop it up and put it on there and take a bite. That's how you did it. That's the godly way of doing it. I'm talking about my granny made two kinds of gravy, white gravy and brown gravy, because she wanted everybody happy. Every Sunday, we'd eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, and it was amazing. My granny never rested. My granny never ate, and I always thought it was weird that my granny never ate. She was too busy serving everybody. And as you would get done eating, or when my granny thought you had had enough, because she had no problem telling you you had had enough and you was getting big, People get old, they get mean. I'll never forget my granny telling my daughter one time, you was an ugly baby. Like, when you get old, you just don't care anymore. But my granny would go around and start to pick up everybody's plate. But as she'd pick up your plate, she'd say, hold your fork. Now, new people didn't know what that meant. But it's old, so we knew what it meant. That meant as good as the fried chicken was, and as good as the mashed potatoes was, and as good as the macaroni and cheese was, and the beans, and all that stuff was. The best was yet to come. The banana pudding was about to come out. The seven-layer chocolate cake was about to come out. The strawberry shortcake was about to come out. Whatever it was she decided to make that day was about to come out. So she's good as that was, she'd be like, hold your fork. The best is yet to come. I'm telling you, you ain't seen nothing here yet. The best is yet to come. Hold your fork. Let's pray.